Yo, welcome to Peace of No Mind. My name is Raymond Tanner and this is the podcast where I'll be interviewing amazing individuals as I find out what a peace of mind means to them and some of the valuable lessons they've learned throughout their journey. Each episode has been recorded at a different stage throughout lockdown, pandemic, just overall COVID living. If you like this podcast, make sure to hit me up, subscribe, send it to a colleague, send it to a friend, just send it on and follow me on socials at Peace of No Mind Show on Instagram and Peace of No Mind on Twitter. Anywho, it's been a minute. to welcome another great guest it's been a long time coming with this one it's been a long time coming with this one tatum swithenbank and you know what i think it's probably best that you you describe some of your creative endeavors and you know just tell me a, a top line of what it is that you do okay amazing thank you for having me was that a good intro that was a good intro (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's kind of rude that it's taken this long to get on your pod but i'm here i'm here so i guess i'm a creative uh presenter producer also do a lot of work around advocacy and pioneering for change and equality within society and the arts that was so cv (laughs) No, it was, isn't it? It was like reading LinkedIn. But you know what? I'm down. I'm down. Like, we need to know. Like, people need to know who they're listening to and why. And on top of that, you're just also an, an amazing human. So let us not forget that. I think people should really start with that. Like, I'm I'm great. And, oh, yeah, by the way, I paint. Um, yeah, but it's what true. I would say... <laughs> like, this, it's really hard when someone, you know, says, like, what do you do? I feel like automatically, or who are you? We think about work when actually it's like... I, I'm just out here doing bits and doing my best and trying to find balance and, you know, like trying to connect to purpose and make people's lives better. But then it's like, I can't really say that because that sounds a bit like... <laughs> we know we should reframe that. Like when anyone asks you what you do, you should just tell them your, your, your horoscope. Yes. Just be like, look, I'm a Virgo star rising third moon. Like I'm not, I'm not too sure if I'm using the right language, but it's like no, no, no. That is that is what I am. Like, like would you on it? Take it, leave it. Like exactly. You. Well, we might lose some listeners here talking about astrology, <laughs> but please stick around. But basically, I'm a Pisces, so I'm very, very emotional. So we've been saying that, like, obviously, it's trying to get you on this podcast for like, yeah, it's it's, it's actually been probably like a year now. Uh, not consistently a year, but I did ask you first around a year ago, and I'll probably discuss that a bit later on, but. Um, definitely in the last week, I feel like I've been sabotaged by every possible thing that could happen that would stop the progress of this. You you were very much aware that I had a pagan drilling neighbour every day at eight o'clock and I've never had this before in my whole life. I've had a, been woken up for three or four days by drills. Eight o'clock he would start. And like, literally, imagine your eyes were closed and then the first thing you're hearing... No, I've actually cool. He woke me up angry daily. And yeah. I was, I'm like, this is so new to me. This is new. Oh, it's awful. I mean, I just hate noise in general. So like, that is just not the one. But it's, it's that, you know, especially living in the city, it's like we can plan things, but then somebody else will just uh, mess up that. 
mess up yeah. that structure. But I wanted to know firstly, like how, how have you been over this lockdown period, like these last few months? Because this is the second lockdown now. Well, I think for me, it's been positive in many ways and negative in many ways. Like now when people say to me, oh, how are you? I'm just like, I'm 2020. I am everything and nothing all at once. It's just so hard to actually say. But I mean, I was really grateful to have a roof over my head when the first lockdown happened because I'd only been moved into my council flat for three months before the lockdown happened. And before that, I was living in a homeless hostel. I had my own room, but it was like tiny and I it was really hard to live in there. And there was no Wi-Fi, shared, awful bathroom and kitchen. It was really isolating. You can't have people to stay over. So I was just counting my, my bless. I was just counting my blessings that I had a roof over my head and a space where I was like, okay, I'm going into lockdown, but at least I can be in, in my own little sanctuary. So, and I mean, it's not been perfect because I've moved next to a very noisy neighbor that made things quite difficult. I didn't sleep for the first eight mm. months. You know what's mad? I was complaining about a drill waking me up. You've had dancehall and drum and bass yeah, you know coming it. for you. <laughs> yeah. You've been awoken throughout the whole of the, I don't know, is it still continuing to this day? Yeah, it's now it's, it's in the day, but before, so it is still noisy. I mean, we're lucky right now, who knows? <laughs> Let's see what happens. You might really get a whole soundscape <laughs> of Tatum's really life start. today. It's, it's so real, like you just said, living in London. But you're in peace of no mind, Tatum. We've managed to get you onto peace of no mind. <laughs> I ask all the guests, what does a peace of mind mean to you mm. and how is it best achieved? Peace of mind to me is when I'm not in resistance with the process, whether that's artistically, creatively, spiritually emotionally um it's this sort of i i find myself battling sometimes with the process rather than just letting it happen how it needs to happen you know like suppressing and procrastinating only pushes the creativity or the healing back and it, i don't mean that by oh you have to be happy and really excited in every single step of the way of whatever you're working through and whatever the process is. But we have to stop thinking about the destination and allowing yourself to be present, like step by step, because peace of mind isn't exactly peaceful, but the peace comes from accepting the truth without the resistance. And I have to check myself sometimes because, for example, if I'm working on, I don't know, like my podcast, I'm doing the research, I'm recording, I'm editing, and there's a lot of things to do. And I get really overwhelmed and I'm starting to go, oh, no, but, you know, I haven't done this or this is taking so long. And I'm like, Tatum, you know, you wanted to do this, like you you chose to do this. So it's checking in with myself and going, just stop fighting it and be in the process and remember that that's where you're learning and that's where you are going to really find the things that um, are going to surprise you you know and, and the same thing with healing like the healing process is not nice it's it's really ugly 
And I think people think, oh, you know, I'm going to do some yoga or meditation or do a retreat. And in reality, that sounds all really glamorous and nice, but it's a rough process. Like it's not nice looking inwards and doing that work. So yeah, I guess that peace of mind is not being in resistance with the process and you can achieve that by being present and not being annoyed at how long it takes or not being annoyed at how difficult sometimes it's going to be. Peace of mind isn't peaceful. That is the... <laughs> what a bar. Like, what a bar. But that's what I've wow. learned, you know, like... I was finding myself so often throughout my life in my happiest, what were meant to be, I say in quotation, my happiest, most peaceful moments. For example, sitting and watching the best sunset I'd ever seen, but then still feeling like a glimmer of sadness and being really confused by that. Like, how can I still feel some sort of loss or grief or sadness? And then I realised that that's always the way it is, like the yin and the yang, even in all of the good, there's that tiny dot, which is the bad. So, and that's okay, you know, it's never gonna all be good in life or all be bad. It's too complex for that, there's too many layers. And, and as soon as you start to let that in and accept that, you're able to not feel such like, resistance with your own life and I love the idea of like you said there's that resistance and that there's always going to be to an extent some form of resistance um but it's about accepting a part of that resistance and accepting yes. that you know that is the process as well you know particularly some of the stuff that we were working on in the last this last few months ties a lot into that and this this goes back to when I was saying at the beginning like oh yeah I wanted to get you onto peace of no mind and like Little did I know, like a year ago, we, we were at the Roundhouse, I'd say, and I, I didn't really know much about your journey. And a, 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 like, a, and I think we, we briefly touched on it in that room. And then in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, yeah, I'd definitely love to get her on. I'd love to get her on. And then there was the opportunity. And for a lot of people who might not know, but there was an opportunity to record a Radio 4 doc. Um, and Tatum not only was an amazing host, um, she fed into the whole process and we produced this amazing piece called Pause de Plie. But for a lot of people who didn't and who might have not heard it, because I don't want to assume that anyone knows anything about that. Um, if we kind of take that back to, 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 to some of those questions and those themes that were even addressed in Pause de Plie, the, the idea that is creativity transferable and can it can you find as much satisfaction in a, in a new form similar to the one that you've trained your whole life in so if we just quickly just take that back and just touch a little bit on that yeah. journey like well first of all I just want to say that it's funny how I just felt really drawn to you and safe with you straight away you know how you sometimes just meet people and you're like cool you know it, it was stuff <laughs> No, but and and you know it it didn't exist. It wouldn't. This wouldn't have the pause. The plie wouldn't have existed without you. So obviously, I'm really grateful that you brought me along without the journey. You. But this well, could be a whole thing us, where anyway. we just big each other. Up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Let's I'm gonna not. stop that. Like, without you, <laughs> you are the star. So I was brought up in Leicester, 
Um, and I had a bit of a complicated upbringing. Um, it was quite unstable. Uh, parents that weren't really parents weren't really there for me. Um, and so dancing, I, I went to a really good dance school in Leicester and it was a way that I could really express myself and feel safe and release all the things that I was holding on to, you know, through movement. And I found it really hard to vocalize things when I was a kid because I was hiding a lot of stuff. I was hiding things that were going on at home. I was dealing with a lot of trauma. I dropped out of school really early, which, you know, I was angry at myself for, for a long time. And then since being in therapy, and working through things, I realized that I was suffering with PTSD and that's why I wasn't able to go to school. So, you know, you get older and you can link these things and have a bit more compassion for your previous self or your inner child. And um, I finally, after working so hard with a lot of things working against me, you know, it was quite difficult um, to get to the point that I did, especially because I didn't have emotional or financial support but I got into I auditioned for a load of drama schools um, to study musical theatre in London and I got into like one of the best schools going and I got a scholarship which is great because it was 32 grand so there was absolutely no chance I'd be going if I didn't get the scholarship and then um, moved to London you know was really struggling because I had to get a credit card to pay for my rent. I got into a load of debt, but I was like, let me just do this for myself because I can pay it all off and I want to create a really amazing life for myself and I want to do what I love. And then a few months into my training, suddenly my body was doing weird things. Like I couldn't rise up on my tiptoes. I was finding it really hard to jump off the ground. Things that I'd been doing my entire life suddenly was really difficult. So I told my dance teachers um, and they were like, oh, we really don't know. Maybe you've just got um, sway back legs. So a dancer's legs can sometimes be really swayed back and it looks really nice. But they were like, maybe you're using your legs in a different kind of way than you have before. And I was thinking, no, I, I can feel that there's something wrong. Anyway, I went to loads of physios, doctors, was trying to find out what was going on while still, you know, going into college at 7.45 a.m. every morning till 7 p.m., getting home, having to learn songs, learn lines, learn routines, feed myself, like deal with my family's trauma. I had loads of things going on. It was a lot, right? And then... I was dealing with this on top and not getting any answers and I felt like I was going crazy and basically the year was really hard for me and then I, I couldn't do my dance exams like I couldn't complete them properly and they were like you're gonna have to take a year out and fix this and then you can come back but we can't hold on to the scholarship for you so in that moment my whole life just like dropped away from me I was just like what you know everything I'd worked for had just gone like that and it was completely out of my hands it wasn't because I hadn't worked hard because I was a bad student it wasn't because I wasn't technically capable it was because my body had started to deteriorate 
But I didn't know at the time that it was because I had muscular dystrophy. And it wasn't till years and years later, lots of misdiagnosis, a lot of gaslighting from doctors, MRIs, just, it was a really awful time. All my friends going back to college, I had to get three jobs to just pay for my rent and stay in London because I couldn't go home. So yeah, it was a while to get a diagnosis. And then eventually I was like, okay, at least I have an answer now so I can move forward with my life, but lived in limbo for a long time. And when you're talking about the diagnosis of muscular dystrophy, could you explain what that is to someone who might have not heard about it? And yeah, just a bit more about the actual diagnosis itself. Yeah, so muscular dystrophy is an umbrella term for a lot of different variations. Um, So it's a muscle wasting condition. And mine is called limb girdle type 2B, It's where my muscles in my hips, my legs and the back of my arms waste away and they won't regrow. So there's no cure or medication that you can take to help. The only thing you can do really is physio to try and maintain as much strength as you have. Um, And that would explain why when we're looking back to you being 18 and you were trying to jump in the air and you were trying to perform some of these moves that you were finding it harder, right? Because at that time, what would have been happening, your muscles were wasting, that was the early stages of your muscle wasting away? Yeah. You know, it's hard because I love the NHS so much and I think they're amazing. And it is this sort of love-hate relationship because you can understand why the diagnosis is so difficult because it's such a rare disease. And rare conditions, they don't have enough funding, enough information. So things get pushed back and that's what's awful about so much of the system is because people do get misdiagnosed which actually leads to further deterioration or further mental health issues and so on so what actually happened was when I was 15 and I I actually only figured all of this out um when I was doing loads of research on it myself. But when I was 15, um, after I'd done a dance competition, my legs blew up, like my calves were like three times the normal size. And I was like, what on earth has gone on? So imagine just like straight up stretch marks, like overnight, they were huge. I went to the doctors and they were like, oh, maybe you've got water retention from dancing. And obviously I didn't know, I was 15. I was like, okay, uh, what can I do about it? And they slowly went down over time, but like years and years. And that was another traumatic thing I dealt with as a teenager because I was trying to hide my legs. I felt really embarrassed about it. So wait, it it took years for your calves to start um, reducing in size? Yep. So it took years for them to go down. And when I was 18, when I'd gone to dance school, so I didn't know these two things were related. When my muscles were wasting away, and that's why the jumping became hard, rising on my tiptoes. Um, I didn't know till later on that the calves getting bigger years before was actually a sign, but because the doctors aren't educated in this area, they didn't know that it was the same thing. And also what's quite frustrating is, unfortunately, even if things were in the system, they don't really treat you like a human. They look at one specific thing 
rather than looking at your history and seeing you in all the complexities that you are, they'll go, oh, okay, so you, what have you come in for? Cool, that's this thing, rather than looking and seeing if anything's linked. Mm. So what did you say you used to hide your calves so people wouldn't see if they were like inflamed or... I was so embarrassed. You know, being a teenager, you're going through a lot anyway and um, you are seeing that the world is telling you you have to look a particular way and these really unrealistic beauty standards. And then if you're dealing with something like massive stretch marks I mean it's a minor thing compared to I know that a lot of people deal with just personally I found it really embarrassing so I'd spend a lot of time only wearing I wouldn't wear things where you could see them or even when I wore shorts I would wear like long socks to try and cover them up it was just like something I was always conscious about when you couldn't complete the exams and then you getting your final diagnosis um, there was a good few years in between that, right? Yes. When I left college, I I did get a diagnosis of, oh, you've got a muscle disease, but they didn't know there was muscular dystrophy. Then they didn't know it was limb girdle muscular dystrophy. So it's quite complicated to pinpoint um, specific times. But yeah, it was about five years later when I got a definite diagnosis. And obviously within that time, I was going through so much. I was going through denial and being like oh I'll definitely go back and dance again and I guess some optimism as well because I thought maybe there'll be uh, an operation I can have or some medication and I'll be able to do what I've always wanted to do and go back and dance and then there was this sort of uh, moment of because I was dealing with losing all of my friends because they were busy and bad mental health I would also suppress a lot of that pain by self-medicating with recreational drugs trying to let loose trying to basically feel anything other than the awful sadness of losing the thing I'd worked for my whole life and then I did some things that were good for myself as well I have to be kind to that younger Tatum because I did go into therapy when I was 20 and I did all of those things on my own you know I wasn't there was no one to come pick me up or support me or I could I didn't have a family to pick up some of the pieces and help me through it I did it all on my own so I have found that previously I looked back at that Tatum well I previously I looked back at where I was when I was in my early 20s and I was like wow you were so reckless and you wasted loads of time going out and taking drugs but also it's like I was doing my best with the resources that I had and without any you know emotional support and what I was dealing with and I'm able now to send love to mm. that that time that I was in you know and that person that I was being rather than looking at it as like wasted time and like angered from that younger version not making better decisions right yeah and that whole process would you say again those years like you've left dance school you're thinking I might just get an operation you were in were you in a denial were you in any space of like this isn't happening this isn't life or were you just like let me keep myself busy let me just plow on with what I can do I don't care about what's happened like the future's here yeah so I think that part of what I was going through was this grief that I didn't know how to deal with I'd lost a lot of people in my life so I've dealt with a lot of death really early I lost someone really close to me at the age of 
six. So I was aware of grief and how painful it is, but I'd never experienced grief that was specific to having to mourn a life that you'd always wanted to have. You know, in my head, I always had this thing. I was like, it's all good. Get through your childhood, get through all of this pain because eventually you're going to be able to do what you love and you're going to be paid for it and that means you can build a stable lifestyle for yourself so there was a lot of a lot of grief and then not having the resources to deal with that so within that I would um, try and find outside things to make me feel good and once you get into that habit of taking drugs three times a week or taking drugs on your own in your room which I ended up doing you become so reliant on this false feeling of happiness that when you come down from that you're just so desperate to be there again so you're just constantly chasing this high and then eventually I got myself into a position where I was like I have to make a change like I can't this is not the life that I want for myself and that's really difficult when your whole environment around you and the people around you are doing the same things as you're doing so when you it's it's hard to escape that when that's like everything that is in your environment um but I did eventually say to myself I need to get myself out of this situation and I have to physically do that because I don't have the strength or the ability to be able to do that whilst I'm still here. And so I was obviously working so many different jobs. I saved like two grand and I just literally left the country. I was like, I'm out um, and went traveling and I didn't come back till two years later. So mm. I, and, and you know, I don't mean that in that time where I was like, oh, I was just traveling for two years and it was so amazing. Like I had to stop in places and work and I was still going through a lot and I wasn't really necessarily leaving to find myself. I was leaving so I could brush off all of the things that had really like got me down and pressed down on me and suppressed who I really am. And so it was just a way for me to like more uncondition those things and be able to go, okay, I can feel who I am again I can connect to myself again and then I came back and had a sort of another breakdown because I was like oh I'm back what now but then since that point I've been here and I've been able to slowly but surely refine myself creatively and um, build a better network around me and loving friends and yeah I'm in a good position now and just kind of on a more physical level yeah. during that period were you also experiencing any other symptoms and because obviously the jumping and the dancing but then let's say now you're traveling and you're worldwide were you were you starting to feel the muscular dystrophy within other parts of your or, or just maybe um finding that it had intensified in certain areas this is the thing so my body this whole time bear in mind is getting worse so it was heartbreaking for me because I'm a I was in my early 20s and I couldn't do the things that other people were doing around me whilst I was traveling you know I couldn't go and do a surfing class or 
um, go out all night because my fatigue is so bad because the pain um, creates so much fatigue that you feel like you're constantly uh, trying to get through treacle, you know, just working, trying to work through stuff that's just really uh, making your life hard and barriers in the way. So my my body couldn't do the things that I wanted it to do. But having said that, me being so proud, I was like, I'm gonna climb the mountain. So <laughs> I found a way to do things, you know, like I climbed this mountain in New Zealand that is 19.4K like up a mountain across and back down. And it's like hard for anyone. And I was like, I'm gonna do this. And I was practically crawling. Like I was on my hands and knees. Bear in mind with my muscle disease, so separate from dancing, all those things you said, I find it hard to actually just walk. You can't see it um, unless you're really looking. So sometimes my disability can be invisible, but even when I'm just walking, it's like so difficult everything feels like a struggle and there's so much pain because my muscles have wasted like there's no connection between my foot and the rest of my body so it feels really clumpy really um uh it really hurts my knees i have a lot of falls so out of nowhere my legs just collapse and i can fall to the ground i can't get up and down stairs because there's nothing to push myself off from because there's no muscle. So I have to use, I can use my arms. If if there's a banister, I'll pu literally pull myself up the stairs. Um, so obviously whilst I was traveling with a big backpack, it was really, really hard. But this is me being, that was me being determined and still wanting to do all the things. So I did. And that's, I'm not saying that if you're disabled, you can do anything and you should still climb the mountain because you know what? If you're disabled and you're tired, you can just rest. Like you really don't have to be this uh, inspirational person. At the end of the day, like there's this awful toxic idea where it's like, oh, you know, you say you're disabled and they're like, oh, why didn't you do something in the Paralympics? And it's like, I just wanna, might just wanna live a nice, calm, mediocre life, you know? Um, I don't wanna necessarily live that, well, a calm life would be nice, but there's a lot of things that I still want to do that doctors would tell me not to, that I'll find ways to do. And I guess I did that a lot whilst I was traveling. I walked a desert for a whole month, just me, a friend and five camels. So, you know, I was still- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you did not need to mention the five camels. <laughs> Sorry. The only reason why I say that is because, <laughs> do you know how hard it is to work with camels? It's really tiring, so. <laughs> I just see they spit at people, but I would yeah, like to do. just touch up the camel. But um, sorry, that sounded mad. But yeah, no, you, you, were... <laughs> no, you were saying that like I think you, your descriptive term when you were like it feels like you're walking through treacle. I think in my mind that you just put something in my head, and I, I, I could, I can envision what that. And again, I can't necessarily say I know what that, but I can envision what that could feel like. And I can imagine in, in that time, did you let anyone know that you were experiencing or did you let anyone know you even had a disability? Was it something you were just like, boop? Like... Yeah, well, I, I this is really interesting because I felt so much shame and failure that I didn't want to let anyone know because the whole time I was like, how can I find a way to work through this 
and be able to return to being Tatum, you know, because I mean, in the idea of what people had as my identity, because whenever I'd see people, they were like, oh my gosh, why are you not dancing? You're such an incredible dancer. And I felt like I was trying to hold up this identity because I didn't really know who I was separate from that because I'd been doing that my entire life. And I kept it quiet, was dealing with a lot of it on my own and wouldn't really even use the term disabled. And as I've got older, I found ways to work through that and go, you know what? I shouldn't feel ashamed for having a disability. I shouldn't feel that I am not attractive or that people won't love me because society tells you that to be a woman, you have to be sexy and whatever you see in the media or on TV, we don't see people with disabilities. It is starting to change now, thank God. But it's not, we don't see ourselves represented. So you don't feel like you can have the things that you see. You don't see yourself in that narrative. So it's like, oh, well, how is anybody going to love me with all the complications that I have? But I have to remember that if somebody loves me, they'll love me wholly. And I'm a disabled person. I'm a disabled woman. So if they can't love me like the way that I am, then they don't deserve to have me. We've explored that. And I think there was this, this even ties in for those again, who was discussing at the beginning around pause de plie. The whole idea was there was this documentary that we made and it was looking at um, what, what would, what did creativity look like for you? And can you still find another art form that's as satisfying as the one that you'd known? And like, there were some big dreams, like of going to like Edinburgh, we're going to go to Leicester, (laughs) we were going to go to record amazing contributors who had experienced um, like hardships and adversity that had changed their whole life plan. Um, And then Corona got in the way. Good old Corona. (laughs) And, you know, this again, this is maybe this is the first time. I was producing an audio doc. I don't know how many audio docs Tatum had been in. I don't know. If yeah, it, no, it was none. Your, was your first? <laughs> exactly. I was trying to be now. I was like, I don't know how many good things you've done. Um, you know, looking at that and it's like, how is this? How are we even going to begin to tackle this? That was really overwhelming for mm. me. And it was at the beginning of the doc, I was like, I don't know how this is going to work. And mm. I wanted to make sure that you felt that you were still inputting and that it was it was, it was was a journey that you were going But on. that's it, wasn't it? We had to adapt. Like if we're talking about all these things within ourselves, what we have to do. Um, and it just shows our sort of resili- resilience and adaptability as humans, because we still made it happen. And mm-hmm it was like such a challenge to do it from afar because obviously we'd been friends, but really because of COVID, we'd only hung out like a couple times, you know? And then it was like, we were working so intensely together. (laughs) And it was such like raw Everyday messaging, like voice notes, the whole shebang, like, uh, this person, this person's been booked, this person, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what's going on. How are you feeling? Are you ready? The whole recording process, it's not, you just collect lines. These were days where, you know, we were requiring like Tatum, you know, we were asking her very, like 
drawn out questions that required you to give a lot from yourself. And how, how, how did you find that, that kind of whole documentary experience? And was there any, anything that really still sticks with you or anything that you find that was really important? Maybe that might've even been a contributor you'd met or, or just something that you were asking yourself. I think we can both agree that the contributors, the people we spoke to really just gave us so much. Like it was so interesting to hear how other people had adapted and were dealing with their changes because they were dealing with a condition or an accident and how they had to either refine themselves and find something new as their creative outlet or completely stay in the same field, but shift the way that they'd been doing things. So for me, the reason why I was so able to do it was because I had those people to learn from. Making this documentary was the first time that I've spoken publicly or in a creative setting about the whole journey. You know, I do a podcast, but that's about other people's journey. So this was about me and how I had to give up dancing and where does my creativity lie after that and the reason why I found it so enjoyable and yeah really hard at times but I was so in it and so proud of it was because for the first time I was hearing other people who had also gone through that experience maybe in very different ways and for different reasons but it was like, oh, there are ways that you can be creative, even if it doesn't fit into the model or the main structure of how we see that artistic form normally. And also it was a blessing to be with you because I could just voice note you like, I'm not good, you know, like it's so important to have uh, a team where you feel safe enough, especially when you've got a disability, because my fatigue oh my gosh, it can be so overwhelming sometimes that I just had to message you sometimes and be like, this is how I'm feeling and I'm feeling a bit anxious and tired. And then just to be able to chat about that together made me feel safer. And I think that's vital in whatever mm. you're making to have somebody you can do that with. And I think it even links into the idea of like ableism and me not always, not also being aware Um of necessarily something might be like your fatigue. It would be like, oh yeah, Tatum, are you called to record Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, <laughs> Saturday, maybe Sunday? Like, I don't know, like seven days you down. And you know what, it's, it's, it's you know, hearing stories and being open with Tatum and her being like, look, you know what, today won't be good. I need to just chill or we need to start recording after one o'clock. And I think sometimes until you ask those questions or you're in conversation with, you will never ever understand how you can aid someone and it's not necessarily about helping them as though they're a victim it's like no how do we aid that so this process is easier for both of us and I think that's something a lot of people take or just just skirt over and they don't necessarily look at the world and think you know what how can I be in support of others um, and I think that definitely like if there was something that you know that opened up for me like the whole documentary and obviously spending a lot of time with you it's you know it, the, those questions how can you be in support of others yeah you said it like we're all learning right so we can't know all the perspectives and we can't know everybody's lived experience but it's being able to 
create an environment and a climate where people can say their needs and that you're going to respond well and you're going to listen because we talk a lot about diversity and inclusion a lot you know we'll have a an event or we'll hire more black people or more disabled people but what are you doing once they're in those environments are you going to listen to a person who isn't neurotypical when they say all of these words to me or maybe not even neurotypical um i'll bring it back to me right rather than creating a something out of my head but mm-hmm. um for me i didn't go to school so i don't always have a really intellectual or academic uh vocabulary and i go to read something and i'm like i'm spending an hour having to google these words so you know it's like we have to we talk about including people but then you have to put things in place whether that's mentoring or a buddy system or a safe environment to ask somebody something or feel that you have got the capability to yeah put your hand up and say I don't quite get that without being shamed mm-hmm. it's a hundred percent it was a learning experience everyone's a teacher but not everyone knows they're a teacher mm. so you need to ask the questions and I think that's something which like which that. has always been in mind it's like you've got to ask the right questions or you won't get the right answers don't always expect someone to know how to give you the right answers did you get anyone reaching out to you did you get any feedback like did you get like what 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 was what what did that look like once it was out in the world what's so hard about when you're making something is you're not getting any feedback. So you're on your own or just with that team. And you're thinking, is this good? Am I doing the right thing? I found it really hard to let go of control because obviously you were the producer and I kept going, "Uh, what what is it gonna be? What is it gonna sound like? And you're like, chill, answer the questions, be present, do you, because what you're saying is what needs to be said. Like, trust yourself. I was like, chill. <laughs> ah, in my head. Ah. <laughs> Ooh, the little children. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Sorry, that isn't worry, it. T- we um, this. <laughs> we yeah. This. <laughs> and that's it. You know, it's okay Sorry. to have those moments. Yeah. But um, I think that when we'd put it out into the world and you finally let go of something, you realise that it was exactly the way that it needed to be, even if it wasn't the perfect way that you saw it in your head. Um, because I had so many messages from people, like on all platforms, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, email. I just had floods of people saying, thank you for creating this. I've really struggled because I was diagnosed with this or I um, have, Um, children now and I don't know how to do what I was previously doing so I have to completely change my career so it wasn't always about disability but it really touched people who whose lives suddenly had to change for whatever reason and then I realized that it doesn't have to be for everyone but if that's had an impact on just a few people it's worth it you hit it like sometimes when you put something out in the world it's got nothing to do with you anymore mm. like of course it's yours and you, you once owned it but it's the, the way it's received that's not your business like you, have you put your all in 
that was that in, was that made with the right intention was it made with the right spirit so then what what, what more do you, that's not your business put it out there let it be and i think it's that and as i can always understand that if if someone does if one person can connect and you're just like yo like i feel seen or i feel heard like to me that's it's it's mad mm. it's mad like even with peace of no mind if i get a, some message like yo that was mad it's like no nah, what me what this <laughs> So I can't even imagine like what we were touching on in Pause de Plie and the people we were, we were interviewing, the real impact, like I had someone tell me that they'd heard it on Radio 4, didn't know anything about it, didn't know it was produced, they just had Radio 4 in the kitchen. And they were like, yeah, that, that fire in that room, like I felt all of that. Yeah. And then she's like, and it was what? Like what you were a part of that? Like, so it's it's deep. And it, again, to me, it's, it's timeless. It lives out there. Mm. It's 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 the the stories are timeless. The emotions that were put in are timeless. And you know what? I'm really proud and I'm happy that I got to do it with you. So yeah, me too. Yourself. No, I am really proud of us. Kind of now looking back over just your experiences and like not even just the doc, but previously, like what's what's one thing you know about navigating through the world? What I've learned from my existence on this world is that. I mean, life's hard, right? We're living in a time of Tory government, of climate change, of housing crisis, of global pandemic. But what can you find within all of these challenges that are gonna make other people's lives better? And that's what I've been able to realize in life that going through going through it all, what really will make your life feel like it has purpose is being able to make other people's life easier and being able to connect to anything that's around you and find the beauty in things, whether that's going out into nature and breathing it in or jumping into ice cold water or telling stories, being vulnerable, looking someone in the eyes and saying I love you and not waiting to do that you know doing that at any moment possible what I've learned is that as you go through life wherever you can make life a little bit easier for the people around you it's been great to have you on but I kind of want to know what you're doing now and like what what maybe some kind of future goals are looking like so I'm I have a podcast called The Wobbly Road, which um, I'm put to bed for a little bit. I did season one and I'm going to pick that back up in the new year because it's okay to take breaks, you know, it's good to do that sometimes. Um, What's it about? So The Wobbly Road explores life off track and celebrates things like vulnerability and pain as well as joy and happiness and I have a different guest on each time so that's an entrepreneur or a creative um just somebody that I've wanted to speak to and I it's sick by the way so (laughs) sorry no it's sick by the way so yeah guys definitely check that out yeah I'd appreciate that um and I have just joined Young Women's Trust to start a campaign around disability discrimination and um accessibility and for people with disabilities to have as much um, economic uh, independence as possible. So I'm working on that. I'm doing a lot of governance work. So working within boards and organizations to make sure that 
once they hire staff they are taking care of them and I've got a folklore podcast that's uh come out as well called Honey in the Hex. Tatum it's 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 been a blessing to have you on and it's been a blessing to of watch you explore some of these questions through the doc um watch you like you know being so vulnerable in so many different settings and then to bring you back onto peace of no mind to do a full circle it's been a joy man but before you go i need to ask three questions okay firstly where people can find you on socials at tatum carmen carmen with a k okay sick on all socials with that yeah okay sick um number one what's the happiest day of your life watching a incredible sunset in goa and completely crying my eyes out and releasing so much that i needed to release was this during the time of you going traveling yeah it was like i the reason why this was the happiest moment was because i'd been sad for so long and i'd separated um i just left somebody that i spent a little bit of time traveling with that i needed to let go of that had been really difficult for me and it was the happiest moment because I just cried and just the whole sky was orange. And I was like, okay, I'm good. Something that overwhelms you. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> We're not having that. Sorry. <laughs> um, okay. Accepting love from others. It's hard. Um, best piece of advice you've been given by somebody else. Best piece of advice I've been given is to not take anything personally. Because if somebody is saying something to you or projecting onto you it's on them it's just what they're going through so don't take it personally t all the love and thank you for coming on today we finally managed to pin it down we did it yes thank you so much